Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. Welcome to another episode of the Design Freaks podcast. Uh, I like to talk about music industry, art, and design, record covers, posters, zines, etc., and the stories and people behind the graphics for Freaks by Freaks. I'm Clarita, and I'm your host. Thanks so much for listening. This is episode 52 with Nick Turner. And for once, I'm not talking about Hawkwind. Um, although I think we do talk about Hogwood. Uh, Nick is a musician, record collector. He's done tons of radio. He is currently the digital and retail marketing manager at Sub Pop Records here in Seattle, Washington. And he uh, works on the Sub Pop Singles Club. You're going to hear about that. He's also worked uh, at the Vera Project, a bunch of cool record stores, um, and Sonic Reducer, the punk show here uh, at KEXP. That's on uh, Saturday nights. It's still going strong every Saturday from 10 to midnight, I believe. Um, Yeah, and I was a board op there for a few years back in like 2008 through 11-ish or something. Um, And we just had a blast. This was at the old station. It was a little hot box on Aurora. (laughs) And it was tons of fun. Learned a lot. Had a bunch of laughs. Um, anyway, so we had a lot of catching up to do. We also, uh, I'm going to try to keep this intro short because this is kind of a long episode, but it's great. And, uh, it's sort of sectioned off into two parts. So the last half ish is sort of, uh, Nick kind of, um, it's like a speed round of Nick just going through his collection one by one. And we just talk about, uh, the record covers and what he knows about it. And uh, he has a really great collection. He has a lot of like hardcore and oi and, um, you know, just weird stuff. So I did take photos of the screen. We were, re- we were uh, recording remotely. So I was, he was holding stuff up and I was taking pictures of the screen. And so I'll get up those images and lots of other images for the uh, episode on my website, designfreakspodcast.com. Um, and then also on my brand new Instagram at design freaks pod, uh, the hacked Instagram is still up. I'll go over that a little bit more in a second, but, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. It's a great episode. And speaking of, uh, Sonic reducer, I have to make the distinction. We talked about West, uh, who brought me in and, um, did I say what I did there? I, I was a board op. I did, uh, I operated the boards for the live in studio performances. 
Um, and uh, they let me spin records every now and then. Uh, I would have to say I I appreciate live radio a ton even more now. I'll just leave it at that. So now it's Brian, Dr. West. I'll make that distinction. And Jen, check it out. Uh, you can get the app. And uh, like I said, that's Saturday nights. I also want to say thanks everybody so much for buying The Wild World of Barney Bubbles, the new edition of Paul Gorman's amazing book on the prolific, brilliant rock and roll designer. Um, if you are a new listener and you don't know, I was uh, privileged to contribute an essay to the newest edition of that book. It's just so perfectly designed. It's a beautiful collection of all of his work and some great storytelling and great writing, behind-the-scenes stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a professional writer, but uh, I spoke from the heart, and I really appreciate everyone who's, you know, been sending me nice messages. And, yeah, the American edition uh, from Thames & Hudson USA is um, just kind of hitting mailboxes now. And uh, so it's been really exciting to get those messages from people saying, I got the book and read your essay and stuff. And uh, yeah, so thanks for being so sweet. And most notably, the Standridge family was in London and got a photo uh, of them with the book at Tate Modern in the gift shop. And um, so Brian Standridge was on the uh, in episode four, which was the official Barney Bubbles episode. And we talked all about uh, Brian's super cool family. And then we take like a journey through a good portion of Barney's career and life. So check that out. And, uh, oh yeah. Last episode, uh, was all about the, the essay in the book. If you want to check that out. Um, I also want to make a, not a correction, just a distinction that I, uh, I mentioned a couple of typos, but that was in air quotes. You just couldn't see me doing the air quotes. Um, I was joking. This book was published in the UK. So that comment was for my American audience. It was kind of a wink, wink. We spell some things differently. We use words a little bit differently. So the British editing made me sound cool and smart. Um, thank you, Paul Gorman. I'm absolutely thrilled again to have been involved. Uh, Thames and Hudson is the publisher, bookshop.org. Um, and yeah, if you don't know Barney Bubbles, he is an important part of the fabric of the human experience. So uh, you should know. Speaking of humans, I've got a great one today. Nick Turner is with me. But first, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please share it with other vinyl and design freaks and leave an iTunes review and subscribe. And thanks so much to those who have. Um, Yeah. So let me talk about the hacked Instagram account. It's still up. Um, It's sort of like an archive of the last four years. It's a bummer that I can't get it back, Um, but they locked me out. And so I started a new one and it's at Design Freaks Pod. Uh, It's only got a few posts there. Thank you so much for your support and helping me rebuild that little community space. Um, Yeah, I appreciate uh, everybody for following me again there. Um, and for more music-related podcasts, check out ruinousmedia.com. There are some exciting new projects in the works that you don't want to miss. And now, here's my chat with Nick Turner from Sub Pop. And three, two, one. Hi, Nick. Hello. How are you? Hello. 
Hi, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing quite all right. Thank you. Good, good. Um, I'm seeing a nice poster behind you, Iggy Pop. Is that what it is? That is true. That is Iggy Pop um, sitting on the floor with no shirt, a bow tie, a hammer, and a bunch of LPs smashed up around him. One of my favorite images it is, of him. It is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything I can add to it other than just look it up if you haven't seen it already. Look it up. Maybe we'll post it somewhere. There you go. Um, so <clears throat> how's it going? I haven't seen you in a really long time, like maybe even pre-COVID, before, even way before COVID. Did I? I may have run I into you at a show or before, something. I mean, I've been to like two shows in the last like two and a half years. Um, and I remember last time we talked, you, you had been to one show. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, and it was not one of the two that I went to. So um, yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, it's uh, good to see you and um, I'm doing well, you know, um, been surviving and um, weirdly enjoying a lot of time at home with records, um, nice. but uh, also missing some shows. Not missing some mm -hmm. other shows, though. And <laughs> likewise, just social activity in general. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a bunch of tickets you had to get refunded for? No. Like festival passes? Uh, There's a few upsides to um, being incredibly slothful when it comes to buying advanced tickets is that I had <laughs> nothing I needed to ask. I did have some flight tickets I had to get refunds for, which was, oh. but it ended up working out okay. Um, I was mm -hmm. worried I was going to be duking it out with airlines for months but um no uh i didn't um there were some things mm -hmm. that i really i really was bummed that were canceled or i i missed what about your music um yeah you know actually i was working on a couple of projects um one of which was supposed to record uh finally after like four plus years of intermittent writing and practicing with uh my bandmate uh, we finally were like, okay, we're ready to record after doing all this stuff in fits and starts. And then the recording dates turned out to be the uh, Saturday and Sunday, I believe, um, that the first lockdowns went into place. Uh. So that was off. <laughs> and then we waited until, I had to wait until um, right before the holidays last year. Um, and we finally got in and recorded it, um, finished it up. This is a, this is a project that I... It's not done yet. We it's a sort mm -hmm. of the two of us. Um, is there a name or another no? Not, oh. There's not. There, yeah, there's another member, our friend, who's gonna do vocals, um, and it's in their hands now. Um, but um, and then after that, there was another sort of second thing on our list. Um, this is with my longtime bandmate Jensen, who does Iron Lung Records and the oh, band yeah. Iron Lung, a bunch of stuff. What's um, up? Shout out to Jensen. And uh, yeah, we've had two projects, kind of like in the works that was really nice it's nice to get back to being creative if not playing live um, and doing the usual band thing but also like i don't know at this point um i'm a little less attached to the notion of doing uh playing music and forcing it into this sort of traditional like be like black flag and play and tour constantly yeah. kind of thing not that i ever really did that 100 percent or even 50 percent, but like that's always been kind of my way of thinking about doing bands. And I feel like the pandemic and then also just becoming an old person involved yeah. in punk rock has made me like, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, I like doing those things, but I don't know if doing a band has to f 
necessarily fit into that framework. So it's kind of fun to work on some yeah. project stuff that may or may not have any uh, anything attached to it beyond just making a cool record. Right. No, I, and I did that too. Like I, when the pandemic hit, I was like, okay, I'm retired from DJing uh-huh. and I'm the opposite. Like now I want to actually play music, mm. synthesizer stuff. But, um, for some reason, I just, I don't know why I just can't, um, commit to a DJ night anymore. I'm just done. I know. I, um, well, that was a good time to mention that you and I know each other from when I was doing Sonic, when I did Sonic Reducer um, yes. for 10 plus years, co-founded the show with uh, the wonderful Brian and West. Um, Fabulous show on KEXP. Yes. And <laughs> shout out to KEXP for letting us do it in the first place and supporting it org. the whole time. Got KEXP.org. Um, and, uh, and the show is still going. I'm not involved, but, um, but I left after a little over 10 years and I, I, I always enjoyed it, but at some point, like it was Saturday nights, nine to midnight, yeah. um, and me having to later shift, it's kind of like, I Saturday night would be a nice one to have open, um, mm-hmm. and and lugging records around is uh, kind of it, it takes a lot of work. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. not compared to like working construction or like actual work, no. but it's you know at some point it's like my records are a fucking mess; they're all over the place because I don't refile them and well um, because we were stupidly playing actual records when we could have just right i mean i guess some of that stuff isn't available in digital format because you have quite a, a collection um but i mean nobody else was still playing i know yeah and we I, were I, I mean it was so hard to do it too yeah and this is where i have this sort of maybe a, a subconscious masochistic streak where I like I feel like it's like somehow it was at the time I felt like nah it's not really honest or uh, not is not honest to play digital stuff because I did play digital stuff uh, especially later Mm -hmm. on at some point it just becomes so practical um yeah but I always liked the sort of physicality of like queuing songs and hurrying you know like I did one I don't remember how many songs I ended up playing but I did one show where I just tried to cram as many songs as I could in an hour or hour Mm -hmm. and a half and, and like, you know, it was like 20 second long songs and you're sitting there with two turntables and it's just a stack oh, of records piled my. up, uh, you know, it was super fun. And I was just totally sweaty and disgusting by the end of it. And their records were just all over the place on, you know, unsleeved, which is a cardinal sin. And doing ad reads and updating the website. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really fun to do like to read back the songs and be, you know, it's like, this is going to take a few minutes because I just played 20 songs in five minutes. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I would just do stuff like that because it felt like that was sort of part of the fun. But then, I, you know, at some point I was like, that's just me. Like nobody listening is like, nobody oh, cares. cool. He's playing, you know, he's playing the actual. Like yeah, you don't want to play like a really shitty YouTube stream. It's OK to curse on this, right? Oh, uh, we encourage oh, OK, yes, that's what please. I thought. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, as another lingering thought from doing radio. Um, yeah, I know. But, uh, is it before ten or after? 10? Well, you can not even right? cuss yeah, yeah. after ten. 
I couldn't. I couldn't. The, the songs music could. can. Right. Yeah, okay. I let the music do the cussing. Um, Real quick, can we but, tell the yeah. listeners like how involved queuing up a vinyl record is when you're when you're using those old? I think I'm assuming those are old school style boards, right now. Yeah. Well, I think they're they're now they because they moved mm-hmm. after the station moved. <clears throat> yeah after I stopped doing it. But so it might be a little more high tech now, but I think it's pretty much the same idea. Like you, you, you put the record on, you find mm-hmm. the song, you got to like hit the cue button, turn the music that's playing down. I mean, it's, and then like spin it backwards with mm-hmm. headphones on. So you can find the start of the song and then spin about a half a turn back and then turn the cue thing off. So you can hear if the song that you're playing is over mm-hmm. and then you have to, you know, hit the start button on the board. Um, and then sometimes at the station, oftentimes it well, it was, what was supposed to happen was when you hit the button on the board, mm-hmm. the turntable starts spinning. But oh, sometimes, that never happened with me. But sometimes, some yeah, sometimes the turntable wouldn't start spinning, so you'd have to like have one finger holding the turntable <laughs> spinning and holding the record, so the record's not moving, but the turntable's on, and then the other finger over the the board. Yeah to open the channel at the right time. And then you'd have to turn the song that was playing already off right. real quick. It's like, so you had like a two finger kind of thing on the board. Impossible for one person. It was doable, but it was, yeah. Like if it, the, the, the time goes fast <laughs> when you're playing a shitload of punk song. Sorry, you were going to say. No, no, no. I just remember needing two people because queuing up because the, the turntables are not directly next to the board. Right. Yeah, it was you a reach. Really long arms. Yeah, luckily, like I mean, I'm six three and have kind of long arms, but it was still like a you know, a, a bit of a reach. <laughs> and yeah. um yeah. But you were really good at it. You were really well, fast. Thanks. You always uh had like really good focus. I remember one time I tried to cue up a cassette tape and was like, I'm never doing that again. Oh, me too. I hated t- tapes are the worst. And then that's also like where uh I-, I feel like the modern age has solved that problem because now a lot of bands, especially DIY bands, just do stri- go straight to Bandcamp. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and it's Easy. sort of yeah it's I mean and they make cassettes I think more just to sell a merch item at shows. But yeah. they'll have the recording on Bandcamp, so like the whole demo cassette thing where you know you want to play like a new band that only has a demo out and can't afford to mm-hmm. put out a seven inch or like now it takes like a, a year for a small band or label to do a seven inch because vinyl so backed yes. up so mm-hmm. now you just have their Bandcamp, and it's just technology that's an example of technology working the best way possible as opposed to the most dystopian horrible way that it usually works mm-hmm. but Um, the other thing was always uh, maddening that I, I never was able to uh, shake was occasionally playing records at the wrong speed because I loved that. Uh, oh, it proved that we were playing vinyl. It did. That's true. But it also proved that I was an idiot who like didn't <laughs> remember how fast the record's supposed to play. But it's, also, it's like all these, you know, DIY <laughs> records where like, it's like there's some cool art on the label, but you didn't yeah. put the side. Uh, which side is which or on any of or the speed. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm just kind of <laughs> so how like, would you know? How did well, you find out? I mean, usually I would know because I remembered mm-hmm. or because I just hear it while queuing it up and, you know, 
-hmm. remember that that was not supposed to sound like it was playing played through molasses or like alvin and the chipmunks depending on the speed setting um but sometimes when you're moving really fast and you're playing really fast music like Mm -hmm. the one two three four of a stick click kind of doesn't sound that different at at like 45 or 33 no the drummer yeah sound the same yeah yeah you end up kind of messing up here and i mean it happened often but it happened often enough that i was like god damn it i've been doing this since like you know college and mm-hmm. i'm still doing this i remember my first radio show it which was at kspc in claremont california where i went to college amazing mm-hmm. station still an amazing station what's that school um, uh it's it's uh that is the pomona um i went to Cla- to pitzer college but pomona mm-hmm. is um the station that um, KSPC is part of, but it's like, the, this, they're called the Claremont Colleges. It's like a consortium of five schools um, and they kind of share resources, including the radio station. So anyone at those five schools could do a show at that station. And at the time, this was, I started there in 95 um, and they had ju- just a little bit before during the sort of grunge explosion and the sort of alternative rock, you know, hype Mm -hmm. peak in the 90s early 90s the station had basically made a decision that like as an independent non-commercial media outlet they should be playing stuff that is outside of the major label system because the major label system is what controls commercial radio mtv and access to the to the airwaves for the most part so yeah kspc had kind of drawn a line in the sense that we're not going to play anything that in our regular rotation um that is uh on or distributed by a major label and that included like anything that was a subsidiary so there was all this stuff that sort of fit in the alternative rock world i mean sonic youth was on geffen at the time right everyone there loved sonic youth but they were like as a media outlet that is not tied to that system of like major label promotions and blah 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 like Mm -hmm. we should promote stuff that is underground and doesn't right. have that access and doesn't have the hype money behind it, um, right. which was just such a wonderful thing, honestly. Um, That's still is. Ballsy. Yeah. It was great. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and they would. And so I did a show that was sort of regular rotation show, and then I did a punk show for years. Uh, you had to do like a semester of a regular show, and I, my first show was at like two in the afternoon on Tuesday, and it was right after this wonderful guy Leonard, older guy who worked at the station, who did a polka show. Oh, um, and, uh, no and he, yeah, he was, I think he was Polish, but he, um, uh, I went in to do my first show and he was like, Oh, hello, I'm Leonard. And you know, what's your name? And I like, my name's Nick. And I was like, he's like, what's your show called? And I'm like, I don't know. I literally hadn't thought of a name. And it was like, I was on the air in five minutes, first time ever. <laughs> and he goes, Whoa. you should call it fall in love with Nick. And I was like, okay. So I called it fall in love with Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, All right. <laughs> like, uh, so that was my first radio show. Um, How long was, did that last? Um, I did that um, for uh, from the spring of 95 until uh, 99. Um, mm-hmm. The last semester I went to college, I grew up in New York City. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was back and forth from L.A. to New York for college. And mm-hmm. the last semester I was there, I didn't bring all my records out. Um but I want to do a show. So I somehow roped. So the thing with the major label stuff, specialty shows like a punk show or a, you know, a focused show that's just a genre show can play whatever they want. 
So like a right. jazz show could play stuff that's on like impulse or whatever, you know? Oh, I see. Um, so, you know, they, so it wasn't, it was like, they wanted to allow music and art to be played without regard to the label to some degree, but they just didn't want like the rotation stuff. Right. Oh, I so, see. like, you know, I could play the Ramones on. Oh, okay. You know, on, on the Black Flag yeah, well, I think Black Flag was still on SS. Was I mean SST, SST was independent, right. so that they would play okay. stuff on SST. But then, like, there was stuff that was distributed by the Warner Music System. That I, I think right. Epitaph at the time had mm-hmm. just become part, and uh, and actually, it's possible at the time that Sub Pop, where I work now, um, was excluded from their rotation because it is had distribution through uh, a distribution arm of warner music group um so there were things that seemed like all like you know no effects new record for a southern california mm. uh, indie punk radio station to not play that seemed weird but they were like sorry you know <laughs> like them's the rule oh, um, wow. but if you did a punk show that was classified as a specialty show you could play whatever you want you could still play like no effects oh and, and, i see it's, so it's whatever. just the general shows yeah, it was like the afternoon shows and the sort of regular right. the rotation shows, which like they had a certain amount of and then they had a certain amount of hours that were allocated to specialty shows that could play. You know, I'm sure the Polka show had stuff that was on some major label and he could play it, you know. So it was a good it was a good balance, I thought. Of like, I wonder if the if Leonard had any Red Dot albums that he couldn't play. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but I'd, I'd be impressed. <laughs> I, I want to hear it if he did. <laughs> What's the, the, the Gigi Allen of Polka? But yeah, the last the the last like three months I was there, I did because I didn't have all my records. I just went to Rhino Records, which is the local mm-hmm. record store, which is an amazing store. Uh, it's not related to the Rhino label, but um, it is just an excellent record yeah. store. It's still there, and um, their ninety nine cent bins were like were very fruitful at the time. Um, so I just did a season of a like a glam rock show. Um, that was like totally idiotic. It was just one hour and it was like, you know, I mean, I play Slade and Sweet and some of the like quote unquote cool mm-hmm. glam rock, but then I'd play like Poison and Britney Fox and just like total <laughs> 80s hair metal garbage. Um, but it was fun. There were a couple of fans, you know, it was like whatever, like, you know, 12 to 1 a.m. on Tuesday night. So cool. And then fast forward to Seattle, you decide to start this other show. Yeah, well, I moved to Seattle in 2000 um, and uh, ended up working at a, a, an amazing record store called Fallout Records. That oh, um, was uh, Tim Hayes. Mm-hmm. Tim, um, I, he is a wonderful man and ran a great store. Good skater. And, uh, I am a good, really killer skater. Yeah, <laughs> and he's great at writing about music and um, his enthusiasm for music is uh, like I still feel the influence mm-hmm. of his worldview on uh, and view of music mm-hmm. um and I, I feel forever indebted to him for uh taking a chance on let me work at fallout as kind of like a random new kid in town wow um because that was an awesome place i mean oh I, my I, gosh I, that yeah. place ruled yeah the one of the best things about it was i mean originally it was a records record and skateboard shop mm-hmm. um in the early 80s is when it started and then by the time i moved to seattle it was um the skateboard part was 
was no longer part of the shop and it was records and um, a lot of sort of underground comics, like the fanographics kind of stuff, mm -hmm. Daniel Klaus and those kind of artists. And then Tim um, is really uh, into European sort of horror and exploitation cinema. Mm -hmm. And the store would carry these amazing import books, some of which were like just straight up in Italian. So like you couldn't, wow. I mean, unless you spoke Italian, you couldn't read <laughs> the contents, but they had these great like posters and like just incredible stuff about like spaghetti westerns or italian slasher films from the 70s and mm -hmm. 60s and gothic horror um stuff like you know dario argento oh, and yeah. mario bava mm -hmm. and, and sergio leone um and then all the like more obscure offshoots like you know shit like cannibal holocaust and <laughs> just the real like <laughs> you know movies that you feel like you have to take a shower after watching <laughs> um but they're wonderful you know and yeah. uh so like I, I really got and I got soundtracks super into that. too. Yeah, That's well, and the soundtracks prog. are amazing. Totally great prog, mm -hmm. Goblin, oh, and yeah. like um, Fabio Frizzi, oh, yeah. um, who did the soundtrack to the Beyond, mm -hmm. and who um, did, and Profondo Rosso. That was Goblin as well. Yeah, that's yeah. Goblin as well. Yeah, and then of course um, Ennio Morricone, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, so that, that actually will tie into some of the record talk uh, and the design. Talk. Um, awesome. But I got really super into, you know, I'm working at Fallout was amazing. Um, at the same time, I sort of was like, I don't really know anyone here. So I just started going to like hardcore shows. I would go to like punk and crust and hardcore shows on the East Coast mm -hmm. um, and in college in Southern California. Um, a lot of stuff like, I mean, I saw a lot of New York hardcore growing up um, and was into that. But also was super into like the more crusty kind of anarcho punk mm -hmm. side of things and going to ABC No Rio. Um, and there, it was the time of like massive record distros at shows mm. where you'd have like um, the person who was at ABC No Rio at the time was Neil Robinson, who was the singer for Nausea mm -hmm. in, the eight, early, in the first lineup in the early, in the mid eighties. Um, and he ran this label called Tribal War Records. He was an old English anarcho punk guy who like, you know, uh, I'd like seen crash <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, you know? Um, and, uh, and then had moved to New York and he had this great, like four tables of like records and CDs and seven inches, um, and books about like politics and, you know, punk related things, uh, zines, um, that was just another huge, uh, eye opener, but, um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so going to sh DIY shows, punk shows, hardcore shows, oi shows. Um, and then moving here, it was a pretty different scene, I quickly realized. Um, cool in its own way, but definitely different, different reference points from the get-go. I mean, one of the things that I started noticing was like, oh, in the North, you know, in, in New York, everyone, like, is familiar with and loves the Cro-Mags Age of Coral record. Hmm. You know, like, crusty punks, you know, skinheads, hardcore kids, all straight edge kids, drunkies, whatever, you know, it's just like, you know, there's like every scene has those things that are just like the local reference points that everyone's like, oh yeah, well that's great. You know, even if they're, they look different. Yeah. yeah. But then out here, it's like, oh, it was like a whole different thing. You know, it's like beat happening, you know, <laughs> or like, I don't know. Um, uh, it was just a very, uh, a very different scene. The accused, you know, yeah. or something like that, mm -hmm. but it was just, a very different and more kind of fringe realm out here. And 
for, probably for the better, for the most part, or in a lot of cool ways mm-hmm. that make the Pacific Northwest unique. And I think I've always made it unique. Um, but, um, but yeah, so anyways, I, I moved here, started going to shows, and then the Vero project was starting up um, because Seattle had this weird bullshit about like all ages right. shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can look up the teen dance ordinance and read the history of it. So spare everyone to, around here. it was ridiculous. Yeah, total <laughs> footloose town. So, um, and, and I, you know, I was over 21, but I liked like DIY and all ages shows and just thought it was weird that like you couldn't see music if you weren't old enough to drink. I still think that's a weird uh, thing those are uh, like you can't you can go to an art museum if you don't drink you know if you're too yeah, young it to is drink a, it's like, an why? art form yeah yeah like why is appreciating this thing i mean it's because you know, of i know kind of why we know why it's the same thing as everything it's money and it's there's a lot of time standing around so it sort of yeah, makes sense that's... it's something to do what you know um so i don't i mean i have no no judgment about drinking it just was like i do i mean you know i'm <laughs> kidding i don't do it so i feel like i always have to have a disclaimer <laughs> that like i'm not like some judgy maniac i just think it's weird that like you you know a whole section it of is. our society maybe the most energetic who need music and art can't see a lot of music live and experience it like directly in the most visceral way because they're under 21 like it just seems like it makes no sense and yet they can like go join the fucking army <laughs> you know Yeah, it was it was real stupid. But out of that came the Vera Project, which um, which I started volunteering at kind of when it started and then eventually started working at. um, And uh, meanwhile, working at Fallout and then um, Fallout closed, sadly, RIP. Um, And then I started working at Singles Going Steady, Mm -hmm. um, where your previous guest, Byron Wilson, my former former co-worker, um, wonderful uh, that was also is was also a wonderful place, and I I mean the the two things I went to like my first two days in Seattle were Fallout and then Singles Going Steady. I'd never heard of them, but mm-hmm. it was like uh, my uh, you know I heard about Fallout, went there and was like this place is amazing. Bought a flipper seven inch, and then I went to Singles like a day or two later and was like this is a store that has like hardcore crust, oi, punk mm-hmm. painted on their sign on the street, <laughs> and like this is. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is great. Um, I mean, I've been to stores that carry that stuff, but like, you know, uh, it was just, and Pete, the owner at the time, um, and Byron, and uh, at the time, Pete's brother, Chris, worked there. And like, you know, first day there, I ended up chatting with him about Hank Thompson, the old country singer, who, if anyone uh, hasn't heard him, he's uh, no. He's a pretty good uh, country singer, 70s, 60s, 70s mm-hmm. or something like that. But he, he, he I always loved him because he kind of sounds like uh, um, Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons, <laughs> if he were a country singer. Um, i it, that audibly. Yeah, he's got that, the voice is that that kind of voice. I, I imitate it, but I just do a bad the job. Exaggerated. He also has a good, yeah. yeah. He's also got a, got a really good song called uh, Smokey the Bar. What? Which I just, it's about drinking. Okay. And it's just, I just, I just like a good dumb pun. <laughs> so it was really funny. Um, anyways, yeah, it's just uh, like, I, you know, I, I found a good home since Seattle record stores yeah. um, and eventually workplaces. And I feel it just unendingly. I forgot you worked at for Singles. Um, 
Yeah, I worked there for um, maybe longer than I worked at Fallout even. Mm-hmm. But um, but I sort of tapered off. Like I was working there as my primary job for a while. And then as I started working more at the Vera Project, kind of was like two days a week and one, or three days and two days and one day a week uh, mm-hmm. at singles. And then I just got too busy. But that's how I ended up meeting West. Um, co-founder of sonic producer he came in one day and was like do you know anyone who'd be into doing a punk show on the radio i'm talking to kxp about maybe then i was like i would how about we and he was looking for co-hosts. did he know that you had a background for. in radio no idea no oh. i'd never met him before he just asked because i was the guy behind the counter uh. um i mean I, I you know i think maybe he'd, he'd been in you know but like i, I wasn't i didn't know him really previously mm-hmm. so we exchanged the info and then i ended up hooking up with him and brian foss and uh getting the show together and um um yeah and then i don't know fast forward a bunch um and i started working at sub pop about 11 and a half mm-hmm. years ago 11 years ago there was overlap um, with the radio right there was overlap with the radio yeah um worked at vera for a long time did, did development work there and uh mm-hmm. as a bit of everything there honestly um and then uh switch over to sub pop where i Started off uh, working as a sales rep for all the indie stores, kind of on the other side of the store mm-hmm. thing, just working with indie stores. And uh, so I'm still doing That's that. Cool. And, or, you know, still working at Sub Pop and doing sales related stuff, doing uh, a bit of AR as well. Um, working on the Singles Club, which is super fun. Oh, cool. Explain that to uh, the we- listeners. Okay, yeah. Um, the Sub Pop Singles Club started at the beginning of the label. Um, it was or it was one of the first things the label did, um, and uh, it has a pretty illustrious uh, set of releases in the first run. I mean, like the Nirvana "Love Buzz" single, mm. which is you know is bonkers expensive, super rare record. Now was part of the Singles Club. Um, there was uh, like early releases: Mud Honey, Soundgarden, a lot of the the big names mm-hmm. of. Uh, of Seattle mm-hmm. and sub pop history um, were a part of the early singles club. Uh, and then a non sub pop artist like the flaming lips, um, Helios Creed mm-hmm. from Chrome did a single, um, the Afghan wigs who were on sub pop eventually, but I, I think they were one of the first out of town, like non Seattle acts that the label oh, wow. um, worked with. And it was kind of this great thing that, that like connected sub pop with a lot of artists beyond seattle in its initial years um people would subscribe and you know stores would subscribe multiple times to get all the records Mm -hmm. and you know it was sort of helped establish sub pop as like i hate this what i'm about to say the (laughs) phrasing but in the parlance of our times a trusted brand Uh you know like like a label in the vein of sst or alternative tentacles it was a well-chosen series of cool singles that really represented the state of like underground rock music and mm-hmm. just music in general at the time um or you know much of that scene and obviously there was a lot going on that outside you know rap music was, you know mm-hmm. and there was a lot a lot underground includes a lot of things but sub pop really helped capture a lot of um the uh indie rock mm-hmm. underground right. at the time through the singles club and through its regular releases obviously and then it lasted for a long time, um, and then it kind of uh, went um, went out in oh geez when I'm looking at the discography. It kind of stopped around 
it looks like I think 93, late 93. Um, and then it rebooted in 98 and they did like Jesus and Mary Chain, Modest Mouse, mm -hmm. um, Love is Laughter. Um, and then sort of very much then current stuff, Get Up Kids, right. um, Beachwood Sparks. Um, and, uh, and then Mud Honey, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then, um, yeah, it kind of went away again. Mm -hmm. Um, and we restarted it up around the 30th anniversary of Sub Pop in uh, 2019. Okay, um, cool. As, and it's been going. It's Now it's it sort of changed um, along the way into like an annual thing rather than just a subscription where you like just it just it doesn't have a time for like a starting or ending oh, point. You just kind of keep. So um, now it's basically annual volumes. Megamart.subpop.com. And you can find the Sub Pop Singles Club on there. Um, you can subscribe, cool. get you 12 singles. But, um, <laughs> you know, plug aside, it's it's quite fun. And I think it's a really cool way for uh, the label to support artists that we may not have an opportunity to work with otherwise. Yeah. Um, and the seven inches are all limited to a thousand. Mm -hmm. um, each series has kind of a unifying graphic design mm -hmm. theme to mm -hmm. it the one one series one year came with a box that all seven inches go into another year had they had like a distinct kind of outer sleeve that every seven inch slipped into and then of course there's art from the bands right um so yeah oh, that's, cool. that's that's and a, among other things i do at sub but that's a that's a good time um Love it. that's so great yeah so maybe we should get into um the what are we talking about? <laughs> well, um, it's musical back right. musical background wise. I also played in a bunch of bands. Yes, um, so tell the list. Mostly hardcore bands, kind of noisy punk bands, Cold Sweat, uh, Walls, Society Nurse, uh, Private Room, and then um, a project called Dead Language. That's um, sort of we never played live. It was like a one record, one off studio project of sort of power violence stuff um so power that's violence. that's what i've oh i know more on that to come um <laughs> and, uh so that's 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 uh how where i've um clumsily applied my uh talents mm -hmm. at guitar or, oh. or lack of talent. i don't i think you're being <laughs> humble i did see i only saw one of those bands i think i saw walls and y'all were mm. awesome oh thank you yeah yeah it was uh fun bands um and uh and i still play music and i like it very much even though i'm not in an active touring concern at the moment right. well, um, you don't always have to tour you don't have to follow the rules there's no rules man yeah man <laughs> yeah who says you have to be like henry rollins <laughs> and you know get in a van i'm gonna get out of the van man came into singles going steady pretty regularly i was gonna was ask like, you if, yeah, if you were there for that yeah yeah a couple of times it is very nice um and he's a record geek mm -hmm. i mean i love it I, I think it's great that he's just openly a fan and advocate for being in underground music and being a nerd about yeah. it you know it's like his um fanatic stuff is all super cool mm -hmm. and uh um yeah i don't know i mean 
you know that's cool now also a singles also a singles club artist rollins band did oh. a single many, many years ago well byron um, said that glenn danzig would come in every now and then as well and was also into picking up local bands were you ever there oh, for cool that? i was never there for danzig i was there for rollins a couple of times mm -hmm. um I, I wish I had been there for dancing. That would have been. It sounded hilarious that he had some dude with him yeah. that was decked out in like all the Danzig merch. Uh huh. Like, that's that have that's been? so good. I think he's. I think he is just. So, I mean, yeah, you know, like Rollins and Danzig. I mean, there's that Henry and Glenn oh. comic that's absolutely brilliant. But and like, there's sure there's a lot to make fun of or whatever. But I just think that they're both like they they know their deal, and they do it. Yeah. And like I, whether I relate to everything they've done mm -hmm. is sort of uh, uh, irrelevant because I just think that they both like they have their thing. They know themselves enough to just be like, this is my deal. I'm going to do it. Deal with it, you know, yeah. and um, and be nerds about it. Like, uh, I mean, interview at least recently, like. I don't know. Sure, there's interviews on YouTube of Rollins where he just seems like he's got to stick up his ass from like you know, 30 years ago or something like that when Black Flag was touring. But like, he I don't know. Accessible also, though. Like, like, I know that um, him and John Dwyer uh -huh. became friends. Like, that's an interesting uh, combination, you know. Totally, and he totally hypes like Ty Siegel right. and like Wolf Wolf Eyes, and like you know, he pays attention to current music, yeah, which is great. Cool. And he takes it's. I read something on Discogs recently that wrote about how like he listens to music in this very disciplined way, which is totally like, you know, what you would expect, but it was kind of great. It's like, he is like, I spend th these days of the week listening primarily to new music, researching it and learning about it and listening to things that I'm unfamiliar with. And then these days I listen to stuff that I enjoy, you know, and I'm familiar with. And right. it's like, I mean, it's like physical activity or something like that. Like you got to challenge yourself and then you got to relax and, and just yeah, broccoli and ice rest, cream, you know, exactly. I normally ask all of my guests, what was the first album cover you remember? And not like, that you just glanced at, but like the first one that like transfixed you, maybe your parents had a record collection and you just couldn't stop staring at it. What was that design? Um, weirdly, Don McLean's American Pie. <gasps> Let me see. It. My dad had that record. It's this, this sort of deep focus shot of uh, somebody, I maybe Don McLean. I never really looked into it with their, you know, holding a thumbs up and on their thumb, it's got the American flag painted. Oh. Um, I was really into that there song. Yeah. Yeah. I was really into that song as a kid. I, I think I liked the, the, you know, learning about Buddy Holly dying and, you know, the day the music died that's referenced right. in that song uh, and the big bopper, not forgetting the big bopper mm -hmm. um, and Richie Valens. Um, and uh, it, it was just kind of a levy was. Sorry. It taught me, it did teach me what a levy was. <laughs> I was like, Mom, what's yeah. a levy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it actually didn't. I never thought, honestly, never thought about dri what the fuck a levy is and why he's driving a Chevy to it. Because um, it rhymes. 
Yeah, I don't think I really. I think Led Zeppelin actually taught me what a levy was ah. because they had when the levy breaks or when the levy broke or whatever. Right. Um, but um, but that was much later. Uh, but yeah, so American Pie, and it's a weird cover. It's like kind of surreal, and it has this mm-hmm. like patriotic thing, but it's just it's not like really patriotic. It's kind of a mm-hmm. sad song. Um, I, I kind of, I mean it's not a song I put on these days, but I was, as a kid, I was really like, wow, what's this, what's this all about? What's the story of this thing? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's catchy and all that. And that, and then the other album I was obsessed with as a kid that my parents had that my parents had that, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your suggestion that maybe my parents had some records around. It was exactly it. This was not something I sought out uh, independently. And then the other one was uh, Arlo Guthrie's Alice's restaurant which I I love that song. It's hilarious. It is still a good, I think it's funny as shit. I mean, it's, you know, maybe it's colored by the fact that I loved it as a little kid, but yeah, the thing with him, the napkin on his neck and no shirt on. Um, But that's, and that song is, is quite a funny, like satirical counterculture thing. um, That uh, has a whole bunch of lines that will pop into my head to this day randomly yeah, me, like ring, it's not ringing a bell well it's like a spoken thing i mean the chorus is you can get anything you want at alice's restaurant walk right in it's around the back whatever and so on um but it's mostly him just telling a story mm-hmm. over a long sort of folk song mm-hmm. um and, and it's live recording so you hear the audience kind of laughing and responding to this uh, but it's basically a story about him and his friends doing some illegal dumping and getting arrested and then uh the absurdity of being arrested for like throwing some trash in a existing pile of trash or something like that um and then um there's a whole thing about him going to the draft board and trying to get out of the draft it's very much like a 60s kind of like generation gap thing anyway so alice's restaurant yeah it's super fun i mean there's a bunch of stuff like this whole thing where he decides he wants to get out of the draft by pretending to be a psychopath and uh, cool. jumping up and down and, you know, saying, oh, kill, kill, kill. And just, you know, it's kind of pretending to be a serial killer. Duty. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but then and then the joke is that, like, he's just screaming, kill, 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 kind of like pretending to be like a Manson type or a biker maniac. And then the draft guy is like, sounds perfect. You're hired. You're, you're in. <laughs> like, you're in, which, kid. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Um, but it's an entertaining song and it's a funny, absurdist album cover picture. Um, not really a masterstroke of graphic design, but American Pie actually is kind of a cool design though. Yeah. Um, and then sort of similar. Yeah, it's a cool photo. Um, and then, you know, after that, as far as music that wasn't coming to me via my parents, mm-hmm. um, I mean, a big one for me, I mean, I was born in 77. So like, you know, Appetite for Destruction came out at just the right time for me. I was listening to kind of pop music and some of the like hair metal stuff that was around. It was sort of, you know, um, and then Appetite for Destruction came out. And as a kid, I was 10, I guess, something like that. Um, And hearing like Welcome to the Jungle and then you get it. And like the second song, It's So Easy, which Seattle Connection is a Duff composition. But uh, he, um, you know, he, he curses in that song. And it's the first time I heard that kind of brazen 
foul mouth language in rock tunes. And I, there was something about that record that sonically and just vibe wise was just nastier than like mm-hmm. poison or yeah. I mean, certainly than the other stuff that was just on the pop radio that I was listening right. to at the time. Um, but the artwork also, I mean, the cover art, I got the cassette, right. Which just had the sort of cross with the four yeah. skulls or yeah. five skulls on it. Um, but then you open it and there's that absolutely fucking insane Robert Williams art yeah. of the robot with the like seemingly abused, well, clearly abused woman who had been selling roses on the sidewalk and this crazy fucking monster flying over the fence. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> like this seems like <laughs> contraband, you know? And like, yeah, you know, I mean, Guns N' Roses was like a huge band. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I certainly, um, my perspective has probably changed and broadened a bit on it mm-hmm. since then. But at the time it was like, Whoa, what, yeah. what did I just get myself into here? And more please, you know, <laughs> it's a little scary. That's how I discovered Robert Williams too, is from the cassette tape. Yeah. I mean, it's indelible. You can't shake that image and it's fucking, I mean, to be clear, it's fucking gross, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not, yeah. His, I mean, Robert Williams art is, well done i mean i'm more like in the context of like these like sleazy rock dudes being like hey you know there's the girl with her boob out and the violent (laughs) cartoon it's just like what are these guys like it's not really clear what they're getting at or if it's just supposed to be like look at the violent thing you know but also is that sort of transgressive vibe that you know that tied in perfectly with other things i was sort of starting to get uh, like more into specifically horror movies and like war movies, you know, Vietnam movies were coming out like crazy at the time, like platoon and hamburger Hill. And, you know, and I was like, Whoa, that dude just got his arm blown off. Let me see that again. You know, Um, (laughs) seeing the gory stuff in that, those movies. And that sort of goes back to like an early musical memory. Like I loved the Beatles as a kid. My dad had like a cassette box that just had all the albums in it. And I loved, you know, help and all that. It's like catnip for a little kid, right? It's great music and it's super catchy and just fun. And I wanted to hear Rocky Raccoon. And my parents were like out to dinner or something like that. And I'm, uh, you know, five or six. So I put on the tape, I find the tape that has Rocky Raccoon, which is the white album. And I put in the tape player and I just hit play. And it was all the way rewound. And I'm like, okay, you know, the songs and when does it get? But I wasn't really like fucking with the fast forward button or, you know, because you you didn't know where it started. So I just let it play. And then that song, um, Revolution Number Nine, I think it is the the one that's like the weird noise collage song. Uh-huh. That's just all tape loops and fucked up, you know. I don't know. Sounds. I'm not a huge Beatles person, I, so as I evidenced by the I fact, as evidenced by the fact that I can't remember the song title, I'm <laughs> I sort of left my Beatles fascination in my. I mean, they're great, you know. They're good influential yeah, all that but i don't yeah. put the beatles on very much now because i spent so much time as a kid listening to them mm-hmm. um so i can't even remember the name of the song but there's that song on that record mm-hmm. that's like basically like a noise like avant-garde art sound collage thing that mm-hmm. just sounds kind of crazy and to me at like that age like I, it was dark N- nobody else was at home or like my brother was already asleep or whatever and hearing it i was like I am terrified. I need to stop this now. And I can't deal with being here anymore. Really? It was, it was fucking crazy. I mean, never heard anything like it. Right. And it was just like, holy shit, what is going on? Like this music is freaking me out. It was not Rocky raccoon. And it certainly wasn't. Um, 
and it but i think it left an impression that like whoa music can do fucked up things like it's it can do fun things but it can also do really crazy fucked up things um and then at around the same time this was i lived in london as a kid my family lived there from 80 to 86 and um I would watch like horror movies as a kid. They had, uh, I think it was Friday night or maybe Saturday. I don't remember. One of the BBC channels would play like, uh, like creature features, like horror movie, double features. And it would be like, you know, seven o'clock or eight o'clock was the first one. And then following that, there'd be another, but the first one was usually like, you know, Abbott and Costello meet them, meet Frankenstein or whatever, you know, some, it was all, or like, um, uh that movie them with the giant ants um there was one with giant spiders and uh yeah movies that aren't scary yeah like like 50s black and white (laughs) kind of and and sometimes it'd be like the universal pictures like the original dracula or frankenstein they were like creepy but not like fucking scary scary the sort of b-movie you know cold war era Mm -hmm. you know it's all really about being afraid of communists but the communists are giant ants or communists (laughs) are giant spiders or you know the blob (laughs) things like that um and then the second one was something a little more like for older people um Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize that and i was like hey there's another one on and the same deal like my parents were out to dinner or i they'd let you know i was allowed to just sit and watch tv on my own a little later than normal and what came on after the you know abbott costello uh, you know meet the mummy or whatever the fuck i'd watched and enjoyed was they then recently released John Carpenter version of The Thing. Unbelievably good movie. But I watched that. I was like, oh, cool. Another horror movie. And I can watch it? All right, cool. I like horror movies. You know, and I'm like five, you know. <laughs> and then in, in the beginning, or maybe six or seven, I don't know. But um, the beginning of it is, you know, it's okay, kind of cool and creepy. And then there's that scene where the this dog that is possessed by the, you know, the, this Arctic base that, possesses everyone it's basically a fucking dog that just turns inside out and its guts all come out and it just it it's it's so and it's like in color too which most of the stuff i had seen was black and white and then it was just like full-on like then very current and realistic gore effects and i was just Mm -hmm. like like oh my god same feeling i was like i have to turn this off right now like i did i was like i'm i don't know what's just happened like what the uh, yeah, well, it was like the same feeling. I remember the two things because they were the same feeling uh, of just like total like like what happened. Reality allows for yeah. this. Like, <laughs> and and I think that also set me on this like planted the seed of like whoa gore and like crazy horror and transgressive mm-hmm. shit is is cool. It like pushes something. I mean, I didn't think of it that way at the time. I was just like, this is scary as fuck. I'm out of here. But like, mm-hmm. obviously it. You know, not much later, I got really into weird, harder sounding music and, you know, super into Nightmare on Elm Street and all these 80s horror movies. Um, So, yeah, Guns N' Roses, that that artwork was Mm -hmm. like striking. And then I got, you know, from there, it was just like, okay, all this fucking like poison and whatnot is cool, catchy, but it's like pop music. What is Metallica about? What is you know megadeth about that opens which, another door yeah it it was like a new it was like the wormhole from there Hell that yeah. i just dove headfirst into with like harder edged metal backtrack for just one second did you know that i just found out yesterday that guns and roses 
came from L.A. Guns and some other band that had yeah, Rose. Yeah, Hollywood Rose. Yeah. What? I just learned it's, that. It's funny you mentioned I'm actually in the midst of reading a book called um, Nothing But a Good Time. That's it's sort of, If you're familiar mm-hmm. with Please Kill Me, the punk book, yeah, yeah. it's a uh-huh. similar type Legs of book. McNeil. Yeah, Legs McNeil, fun, wonderful author. Mm-hmm. Also, The Other Hollywood is a great book about the adult mm-hmm. film industry by, the, by Legs McNeil. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, Legs McNeil, wonderful writer. But uh, this is not by him, but it's a similar style uh, narrative mm-hmm. history of like the 80s Sunset Strip hair metal scene and mm-hmm. there's much talk of the formation of hollywood rose and guns and roses and la guns like axel is sort of related to la guns for a while it was yeah oh, i thought but, axel was in the other in the hollywood rose well he was, was yeah. but also oh, like okay. it was sort of also a connection with tracy guns of la guns and oh, that's like God. la think, guns seems so cheesy to me well I, yeah i mean they're kind of like the sleazier end of that side that scene but like i never mm-hmm. they never like were a big one for me really um yeah. not the not the best not the worst but not the best um but i think it, i think their name came from like tracy guns and mm-hmm. and axel rose and they were they were going to do a band together and it was like well let's call it guns and rose and then they were like axel was like no guns and roses and they're like oh that's a good band name and then i think it eventually that's different lineup formed and that became guns and roses well they weren't wrong it's a good name it's a fucking good name yeah um <laughs> and seattle connection i the one time i saw guns and roses was on the use your illusion tour and at madison square garden and Soundgarden opened and were fucking, fucking phenomenal um mm-hmm, of course and then axel rose took like or guns and roses took like two and a half hours to come on and they were like, Ugh. oh, everyone was getting wasted and fighting in the stands and girls were lifting their shirts up to get on the Jumbotron. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. Didn't, it was okay, fun. so another thing I learned yesterday, I went to, I clearly went to a Guns N' Roses seminar. Um, no, this is just from a friend, not even from like a documentary, but uh-huh. also that GNR Lies, they were so messed up after that first album that GNR Lies, the label just put it together for them. From so live stuff. that is a record that I, brought out oh my God. for this um that that may well be true um well and half of that is actually like a picture yeah yeah uh, hold on. Well, let me get the glare out of it um, okay, yeah cool but i love that cover because it's just so it's the tabloid layout right um uh-huh. of that record cover it's, it's like a fake tabloid newspaper um which is kind of a bite of that public image limits single um right. i mean i don't know if they know it i mean I, duff probably knew public image limited but I don't know if they were intentionally biting that. Uh, it's also wholly appropriate for Guns N' Roses, but it has all of these like fake headlines, you know, like the sex, the drugs, the violence, the shocking truth. And, you know, <laughs> like Mansu's ex-wife, quote, she took my sperm without permission. And uh, it's just like all these funny made up um, shock value headlines, right? Right. It's not like these guys' lives were, you know wholesome and they had to make a bunch of shit but then there's stuff like you know you know experts find using left side of brain increases breast size it's got it's kind of weak yeah it's like it's kind of like I've a never we- really read it i mean that's on the inner sleeve so maybe that you know okay. um and uh dinky den in the pen is the other one that i thought was was just really funny about like what is that someone going to jail uh okay. and, nif- and naughty things happening i guess um but anyways, I, I, uh, 
so so here's why I bring that one up. It ties to the sort of theme here of um, one of the things I love about horror movies and and also a lot of record art is the posters and the sort of like total like 100% dedication to like grabbing your attention and just like even if it's hyperbolic or it's like really heavy-handed um it's great and then i also love the appropriation of one medium tabloid newspapers mm-hmm. for a record cover and just making up your own shit and putting it in there right yep um and that uh is something that i really connected with with uh when i when i heard the dead kennedys and saw their records like mm-hmm. winston smith's collage art i just loved and jello oh, yeah. did a bunch of the collage stuff in those records too um mm-hmm. but uh and they were a big band for they were kind of the like Ramones, Dead Kennedys were the first kind of punk bands that I got into. Sex Pistols and the Misfits, I guess, were the first two. And and that is like, so, okay, backing up for a second. Metal Records, um, Ed Repka, the artist who did like um, these Megadeth records. Oh, um, uh-huh. Yeah, like Rust in Peace. And uh, those are actual Peace. paintings, right? They're actual paintings, yeah. Like Peace Sells, but oh. who's buying? Um, and then also this death record, spiritual healing, um, with wow. this like kind of fucked up, like, you know, mega church priest trying to like, you know, do some faith healing on a guy in a wheelchair. Really? Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I'm and one of them, post that photo. Yeah, do it's, it's, um, here, let me get it out of the sleeve. So you don't have the glare again. There you go. Um, one of the, th- my favorite things on, on that, on that death record so Ed Repka, you know, he would, there's a paintings and he actually signed them. And if you look close, I was looking for his signature because I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Ed Repka, right? Um, and he put his signature on the uh, hospital wristband of the, the patient. Whoa, it, that's great. Like it's a name tag, you know, which is kind of brilliant. Um, so, I mean, these record covers are great, just like shock art, horror movie poster style. And the best horror movie posters are like the 70s and exploitation movies in general. And most movies are like the 70s and 60s and earlier era where they were actually painted posters or they weren't just a still from the movie. It was original artwork done for the poster. And they sometimes would have like, yeah, Jaws, exactly like that. Or um, there's one that I kept out. Um, Are you hearing a weird squeaking sound? Um, Uh, Never mind. I was (laughs) sitting... You can edit this part out. I was sitting on like a, one of those like balance balls that I sit on, um, <laughs> and sque- I realized it was squeaking when I moved. So I was like, "Oh shit!" Um, oh yeah, yeah. So this this is another uh, great. But I may be able to hear it in post. So I know, great. So that's something for you to edit out. I'm going to switch to a normal chair. Cool. Okay, there we go. Um, this soundtrack, Maniac, Ooh. is just I've never heard of that. So it's, I mean, this isn't something that I was into as a kid, but it's kind of like the ultimate gross fucking gnarly horror movie. It's a slasher movie um, set in New York. It's just a a serial killer. It's basically the whole movie. He's the protagonist. Like there's no, there's no like, it's not like one of the things that, that I think people find interesting and also objectionable about the movie is that it's not like from the perspective of, like the the victim or the person you're yeah. rooting for is just from, it's basically from the perspective of the the, the killer. The killer. Um, well, that reminds me of another New York horror movie from back then, The Driller Killer. 
amazing movie. Amazing. Movie. Amazing. But yeah. that was all about how he's an artist and all this. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's so like a frustrated weird. artist and there's some like new wave <laughs> band in it. But yeah, this maniac is um, the, the actor was one of the, I think he was like one of the cab drivers and taxi driver. Um, like at the diner where Robert De Niro's chatting with his fellow cabbies, Tom Savini, who did the um, like the Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead artwork, uh, gore makeup, and did a whole bunch of eighties like gore makeup. He did the effects for it. But this cover, though, I mean, it's just like basically the crotch and legs of the murderer with a giant bloody knife and a, a woman's severed head in his hand. And like, I mean, it's like more than the Rolling Stones. No, the, sticky the fingers like the, the, he's obviously like getting off on he's on like the boner is is highly evident and and it's like right by the head right like the severed head so oh, it's just like yeah, it's necrophiliac yeah 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 it, it's just like gnarly and Gross. total shock value but it's the kind yeah. of thing that you see that and it's like well i'm not gonna forget that you know <laughs> like, um <laughs> firmly implanted it, in my brain thing yeah you. and and i love how like metal like thrash metal records um just had that same approach and then also they all had like a great a lot of them had a great mascot right like megadeth had uh vic rattlehead the, the skull face and like motor motorhead had the snaggletooth logo and um maiden had, Halloween had the eddie <laughs> yeah <laughs> if only they had good music <laughs> but yeah, um but yeah. also, yeah, Eddie, I want to do um, a show maybe just on the artist. Uh, I forget his name. He has a really plain Oh, yeah. Name. Is it Derek something? Yeah. I, so. I mean, I, I, like, that would be a great whole tangent of just mm -hmm. metal uh, mascots, you know, like the not man, the, not, the anthrax not man, which is, like, not a very good one, but popular for some reason. And I mean, I feel like I, tying it back to my current job, um, I can't not mention this record, The Dwarves, oh, Blood, Guts, yeah. and Pussy, which I didn't hear for a long time, but I saw it in record stores on shelves and mm -hmm. just was like that same, like, this is something that's like, aren't you supposed to have to go into some weird Times Square store or like show an <laughs> ID to like even see this? And it was just sitting there in the store and on the shelf. So I would always just take it when I was flipping through records or CDs or tapes or whatever, if it was there, I would just put it in the front of the bin. So everyone else had to look at it. Cause I thought it was really funny, but I, it, I don't know why it never occurred to me to buy the damn thing. Cause I just never heard of the dwarves. And yeah. then I eventually heard it and it, I was like, this is fucking amazing. This is a great record. <laughs> and, and it is. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's puerile and offensive uh, in all the right ways. Um, yeah. But that cover is another one that's just like, uh, that is perfectly designed. Was it Jay Riotard who did a parody? Yeah, he did have a, it was Jay Riotard did one where it's on that Blood Visions album where it's just him I covered in blood it. with like, it looks like a diaper, but I think it's just some like a loincloth type thing. But um, I, I, yeah, that's, I, you know, I, funny, I never thought about that as, as a, it's obvious to now. This is the kind of thing that happens to me all the time where it's like, oh, of course, he probably was aware of that Doors record and that might have been a nod to it. But it didn't occur to me until you said that. Like, I, I assumed it was a parody, but I don't know. Maybe he was. Or at least an homage or some sort of reference. That, that's like, yeah. like, like leaving from fear. I just was like, oh, that's the guy from fear. And then it, literally I've been in really into fear for like five years. Mm hmm. 
or something like that. And then I was like, oh, leaving. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I see. That's a, I mean, I didn't think it was necessarily his real name, but it just sounds like a cool name. Yeah. It was like, oh, duh. And it's just like, why did I, maybe this is why I don't remember six years of math. Another record that really stuck with me is this one. Um, Alice Cooper, Pretties for You. Um, Yeah, that's your Instagram name. I know. My, my, one of the songs. My underused Instagram account, Fields of Regret, is from Pretties for You by Alice Cooper, um, which is not his best record. But when it's good, like the song Fields of Regret, it's really, really good. Um, But uh, but that record cover is just so weird. Like it's this Mm. woman with like uh, like her skirt kind of blowing up just enough that you can see her underwear. And this like old man, like a straight old businessman with a beard, just kind of eyeballing her like out of the corner of his eye. It's just it's creepy. And she's like she looks real young and. And then there's just randomly like a little tent and a cake on a table and a few like a hearse and a few limousines in the background. But it's art. It's like this weird um, flat color art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total like pop art style kind of like mm-hmm. and yes, totally flat. And then it's surrounded by the pink cover, the background of the cover. Um, it's just so it's, weird. It looks like the same artist as uh, Another Green World. Maybe. That may, that may be, and I never actually. The most I know about that one is it was a painting that Frank Zappa had in his like living room, and they mm-hmm. used. I don't know if it's one of the. You know, there are only a few things that I. Uh, well, I'm not a Frank Zappa fan. I don't have too much positive to say about much of what he did, but putting out the early Alice Cooper records and that yeah, painting cool. being on the cover, and the early you know Beefheart stuff that he put out on his label, oh, yeah. and I mean. To his credit, he was one of the few artists who spoke against the PMRC in Congress. And so, you know, he, he was outspoken. He did some cool things. Yeah. He was a technically good musician. However, I can't fucking stand his music. I can't stand it. Yeah. I just, I wish I could, I but I can't. It. It's like weird theater. Like, what's happening? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But, um, but, uh, but that Alice Cooper record, I mean, I got into, I got Billion Dollar Babies first, and I love that record. And he's, I mean, yeah. you know, you think about like, liking horror movies, liking sort of shock value culture, and then also liking the kind of like, like the Alice's Restaurant type, like wry kind of social commentary that's a little sarcastic, a little satirical. I'd gotten really into Monty Python mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. And like Alice Cooper is like all of those things put together, like monster movies, shock value is coming from the sort of, you know, anti-establishment angle, but it's also like, post hippie so it's not like it doesn't have any of that like stop now what's that sound every none of that bullshit it's just fucking dead babies and like generation (laughs) landslide yeah it's there's no smiling on anyone's brother uh, you know unless it's like over the brother's mutilated body in an alice cooper show um and i love it and it's like yeah it's theatrical (laughs) and that's you know i don't have much room for theatrical stuff in music but that is theatrical and it's kind of great. And I love to some degree, just the commitment of like thrash metal at the time and then somewhat punk and death metal and all that to just like, this is our aesthetic. We're fucking doing it. Like you don't watch a horror movie expecting to get like romance. So why would you listen to this music expecting to get like 
a gentle ballad about the post-college ennui of life, you know, or whatever, you know, like you listen to fucking some 25-year-old singer-songwriter for that shit. And it's storytelling. Yeah, or it's just like Slayer, which is another, (laughs) have the Slayer records, like the the sort of holy trinity of Slayer records. Rain and Blood, and then South of Heaven, and then um, Seasons in the Abyss are just, I mean, the record covers, I mean, the only one, Rain and Blood is the only one that actually has the title or band name on it. And they just look like the record sound, which is to say they like the fucking apocalypse. And they're just (laughs) one aesthetic. And it is hellish, violent and nasty and totally fun, you know, like, and, and also if you look closely in rain and blood, there's like, like Venus in there, like, but uh, decapitated and upside down. on like bleeding out of the neck and there's oh shit i can't remember there's another painting like that's a famous old painting um i'm just i'm blanking on the arts in the bottom right corner for any anyone who listens and wants to write bottom left or wait sorry yeah no you're right bottom left bottom left corner of rain and blood it's like a little reference to a a famous painting there's also um right here is Mm. like right under the band logo is a, that's like a lift from, I think the, um, maybe a poster or so like a classic shot from the, I I think it's from, it looks like it's from the Mario Bava movie, Black Sunday. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a fabulous movie. Yeah, I'm forgetting the the star's name, but like those Slayer records are just like, I mean, the music match, the covers match the music in every way. And they just look like scary and awesome, especially to like a teenage boy at the time. Like I think of that as like the gold standard in editing an album. Like it's mm. like under 30 minutes and it's a full length, which is like wow. pretty short. And <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, I think it's like 28 minutes or something like that. And, and it's relentless and I don't know what mm. you could add. Like, and that's mm. kind of like, if that band can basically like redefine and perfect their genre in a way that just, there's like before rain and blood and after rain and blood in my mind and thrash metal, and most metal really just like it's the influence is sprawling and is definitive with that record and they did it in like 28 minutes like you don't need that extra song on your record uh, another artist that i really liked that was sort of grabbed my eyes uh mad mark rude um i'm showing the battalion of saints records that he did he was a san diego artist um but uh fighting boys and second coming by battalion of saints are great album covers just like let me ink. see that first one again. oh yeah yeah sure um it's like a uh, ink art like a sort of pontalist like um really just crazy skeletons with guitars and shit like that and mark Rood also did the record cover for um the misfits earth ad which is my first oh, encounter with mad mark Rood's art um, as but a kid. that's also there's also art by a guy from the uncalled for tony is on the back oh yeah yeah the back cover but it was on the front of the german release you're right because yeah the german one is wolf's blood or yeah, something yeah, it's yeah just that original artwork by the guy from the uncalled for just sold for thirty five thousand dollars oh god yeah, that's a lot of money yeah that's a I weird mean, connection and i talked about them the last episode too 
Anyway. That's that's wild. Um, so Mad Mark Rude on the front. Okay. Yeah, it was the front with like the devil, like the basically right. devil lock guys, and right. sort of like the band of skeletons. But and it's like mm -hmm. bright pink, purple kind of background color. Yeah. It's just really cool, like you know, mm -hmm. crude horror-ish artwork. Um, and then I, I think the other things that that really uh, is a nice little segue here that that really struck me in art as I was getting more into sort of faster, louder music was just the cool logos and especially the ones that were on stickers. Cause I was thinking, you know, listen to these metal bands and checking out metal magazines and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. And you see bands with their stickers on their guitars and they'd be like, what is that? You know, yeah. what, what's that? That I was, you know, I was the kind of nerd who would like, Oh, that's a cover song. What's the original band that did that and go seek it out. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you know, tons of bands had the misfit skull. Metallica, of course, had Misfits. Cliff Burton was Misfits shirts all the time. So that got me into the Misfits. And then the other ones that you just always saw were the Running Man, the oh, DRI yeah. logo, which got me to check out this record, Dealing With It, um, yeah. which, I mean, I could have bought a number of DRI records. I'd never heard it before. I was just like, oh, all the bands I like seem to have this shirt or sticker. I'll check it out. And I think I bought Dealing With It because it had the most songs which I figured <laughs> figured was like, that's more for your money. Um, and thankfully, it's, uh, I mean, in my opinion, it's at least tied for their best record. I love the earlier, more punk kind of sounding stuff, but that record mm -hmm. is just blistering. And then the other one is this. Hell yeah. Yeah, the first Corrosion of Conformity record, Eye for an Eye, with that big nuclear spiked skull on the cover. That is just such a great logo and and an amazing record. Like that just rips and got me super into that and that was kind of when it was like okay now i'm getting into punk this shit's mm -hmm. like thrash metal except without the guitar solos that i never understood you know i mean i can appreciate a good solo sure and slayer like nail it because all their solos sound like and like you're like an air raid is happening <laughs> it doesn't sound like music you know it sounds like because they did all those like whammy bar dive bombs and just you it's yeah. noise i mean it's it was like the like that fucking beatles song it's just like this doesn't sound like music anymore this is just i mean yeah there's the drums and everything in the background but then you hear like you know it just sounds fucking crazy yeah. and like the fact that they're extracting that from the same instrument that like hotel california is based on it's like all five guitars and that band. yeah right like and they all it took was slayer and a whammy bar and is there's something really there are cool possibilities beyond what we're used to here in music <laughs> this is another great logo the yeah, the exploited the, the record is let's have a let's start a war. That's a there you go. There's the picture for you. <laughs> Good job. Um, That's great. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's a great record, and I mean, uh, it's wonderfully brutish and cr brutish and crude musically and in every other way too. I mean, they just have a song called Wankers. <laughs> I mean, it's so British too. Um, but that's not the first exploited record I got into. The first stuff I got into with theirs was like a singles collection, which is still like that's the best. It's just it all hits pretty much. Wow. Um, I still listen to those records. They're I, 
anyone who listens to the exploited and is like, this stuff's so dumb. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, what did you expect? Like, you know, it's like, don't go to this for something that has like a well-rounded expression of the human experience. It's like a guy <laughs> with a giant neon mohawk. You can barely understand. And he's just screaming, you know, about starting wars and hating the army and Maggie, you know, <laughs> like, like it's just dumb fun, you know, um, but it's great. It's also kind of raging. So that also, um, so that exploited record mm-hmm. brings up Pusshead. Right. The artist. Um, uh-huh. Because it is a Pusshead piece. It is also, um, if I understand the story correctly, the exploited just lifted the image, I think maybe from a flyer that Pusshead had drawn for one of their U.S. shows prior to that. And they just were like, that's a cool skull. We'll put that on our record cover. And I think Pusshead, they never asked him. And mm-hmm. I think he would like, yeah, this probably was like a big thing in the letter section of Maximum Rock and Roll at the time, which was before yeah. I was aware of any of this shit. But like, mm-hmm. I guess they used it without his permission. He was like pissed about it and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it's also like the thing that everyone associates with the exploited. So. Right. God, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. But um, so Pusshead, I, I, you know, I was early on familiar with him because Metallica. Because they had, mm-hmm. he was he did the drawings inside, and Justice for All of the band members and this like sort of hammer of justice like a mm. design, which is like cool but not like the coolest pusshead thing. But what I really became familiar with was like reading metal magazines and they had they have these like two page spreads of like mail order shirts that you could order from mm-hmm. like Blue Grape merchandise and like I, I can't Brockham. B-R-O-C-K-U-M was one of the companies. They would just license metal shirts and sell them in like Metal Edge magazine or whatever. But Metallica always had the coolest shirts. Like the, the ones that come to the Damage Incorporated shirt is amazing. Mm. And, and it's a pushead design. Um, but then there's also like really cool later era pushead stuff, like this Bacteria Sour mm. compilation mm. that has this awesome, in the bottom, there's a sticker that I don't think was with all of them, but it's like a little, like, like a little girl holding a, almost like a cocktail or like a milk drink mm-hmm. with a little uh, umbrella in a cocktail umbrella in it. And it's just super cool. And it has no, there's no skull in it. And like every <laughs> pushead thing has a skull. It's kind of his deal. But like this, this is from the late nineties when he was doing his label bacteria sour. Um, and he did some really interesting artwork for that. That's really un- kind of, I mean, it's very much Pusshead style, but it's unconventional for him because it's not like centered around a skull and a bunch of bones. It's a little more surreal than that. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he's, he's an interesting one. Still does interesting stuff sometimes. But SSD Control, nice segue to their first record. The kids will have their say. Another iconic cover of uh, like basically the band and their straight edge hardcore you know, shaved head friends charging the, uh, I think the state capital, something like that. And, <laughs> and, and, but it's called the kids will have their say. And it's from like, what, 1981? Let me get a photo. 80, 82, yeah, yeah. Is another thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, okay. Just the beauty of black and white punk art. It's so awesome. And one of my favorite things in art and music is dealing with limitations. And mm-hmm. Like whether they're self-imposed limitations, like I'm only going to, you know, use three chords in this song or like Mm -hmm. I'm going to take half the strings off my guitar or whatever, you know, 
or they're like out, out externally imposed limitations. Like we have no money, you know, or I don't know how to draw. So I'm going to cut mm. and paste a bunch of shit. And all I have is the stack of magazines. So I'm going to make something interesting with a pair of scissors, some glue and some magazines and yeah. some like rub on letters. And I think so many cool things come from those limitations. And then musically speaking, you know, I mean, so many things come from limitations on people's talent or, or talent's the wrong word, but like skill at their instruments, mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes it's just like, I can't play that, you know, Yngwie Malmsteen shredder shit. <laughs> so, but I still want to make some music that I think is interesting. So I'm going to do some, some, I'm going to have to think it sideways about this instrument, right. you know, like if the way you're supposed to play it is that I can't do that shit. And maybe also I don't like it, but yeah. like, even if I liked it, I couldn't do it. So I'm going to, you know, whether I'm trying to imitate it and failing, but creating something interesting in the process that's different, mm -hmm. or I'm going to reject it and do something completely different right. intentionally. Like those limitations can create such interesting things. For me, the, the, the like the biggest glaring examples are crass and discharge, like the crass singles and album covers. Like I, I actually think that was not born out of limitation because they weren't like, it's not like they were, they had a really amazing world-class artist doing mm. Crass's art, like painting and doing collages, but they also wanted to keep their records price low and mm. they wanted to have these big posters. And so they were all printed up black and white and, um, and it's just a cool, stark aesthetic. I'm sure it was for them. They were like actual artists mm. and older and stuff. So there's probably an aesthetic decision in there, but discharge, mm. it's just like, an impaled dove stolen from an anti-war poster, but they just are, it's super high contrast, um, black and white band name image of like war or, a you know, super high contrast photo of the band in black and white. And, and it just looks so cool and striking. Um, Very cool. I'm looking at it right now. I mean, this is the death church album. It's just insane. I mean, this is just a front cover and it folds out into a giant poster that like oh. looking at it on the internet doesn't do any justice to it. But I mean, he would, he was, he is known for having mental health issues and would kind of like, I, I, legend has it, he would go off his meds to do his art because he would just get oh. super into these tiny detailed little um, black and white drawings and there's like you look closely and they're like little characters in it that you don't see on first look and it, it just you you just stare at the shit for ages and it's amazing um and it's totally like fitting for the music because the music's very gloomy and gothic but mm -hmm. very punk at the same time the subhumans the british subhumans as opposed to the canadian subhumans like all these early eps demolition war Oh, um yeah. that's a really iconic religious logo. wars yeah yeah their little skull thing religious wars is great great design for their logo like the mm. the, the breaking the the word into the word. three three letter mm. sections but the rats cover uh, the rats <laughs> ep is is just great it's like a businessman <laughs> in a suit with a cigar vomiting up like starving third world children and skulls wow. and everything and it's it's i mean it's just so like oh. thatcher's england and like you know, anarcho punk. And then um, Amoebics is another one that had just this great, like, I mean, their music is like killing joke on downers for these records. Um, and specifically, the records I'm thinking of are the ones that were on Spider Leg, which were 
like their first two singles um first single might not have been on spider like but whatever um they're the winter seven inch and then the no sanctuary 12 inch which is not actually a drawing on the front cover it's just like a gnarly photo of like post like bombing uh, i think this record is the kind of the origin of the you know, punks loving the phrase no gods no masters because that's on the, written on the back cover um it's also i think one of their songs um creepy and it's awesome and then i i really like um there's some some uh the industrial record stuff the throbbing gristle oh, yeah. uh the label that they ran like the these singles um of wow. uh like the ones that i'm looking at are the uh, adrenaline distant dreams and then something came over me subhuman seven inch singles yeah i love a band that has a design theme they're great ones this uh gizm record detestation is oh. just an insane record cover wow. sort of taking like it's a collage okay. maybe some drawings in there but it's taking the sort of crass discharge aesthetic mixing it with the spk and i mean the, the guy sakevi who was the singer and kind of leader of that band was uh really into a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. um and uh, although i think randy uchida their guitar player um may have done the cover art for this uh i like gizm enough that i feel like i should know this but um in any case it's it's a very uh intense piece of art so so a couple of black and white things just to wrap that little theme up um there's also the esp label um the mm -hmm. jazz label from the 60s that cool. all their covers were black and white and uh, this is the record sonny simmons did called um staying on the watch mm -hmm. is one of my favorites i mean it's a great free jazz record just really so cool. cool um and the cover is him as a giant with a saxophone standing on a rock in Central Park, uh -huh. towering over all the buildings. And I, I love the, I mean, the, and the, the record cover, the front cover has no text on it. And I just love the combination of like him, you know, towering over the, you know, the Chrysler building with his saxophone and the title staying on the watch is so cool. Like he's this sort of like, like, a superhero or like a guard or something like that it's just such a it's a cool record musically and esp had that unified aesthetic through like all their releases had that this record the shit lickers <laughs> swedish hardcore seven inch call it's called first off the band is called the shit lickers <laughs> i kind of love that it's amazing it's got an apostrophe in liquors so it's like it, it's, it, it's um, yeah like I, I think the band name is the shit lickers but this actually makes it sound like it is one shitlickers EP because it says the shitlickers EP, and then there's apostrophe, so it sounds like there's a, there's only one shitlicker, but I'm fairly sure that was not the intention. And then EP has two two exclamation points, which is just funny to me for some reason. And then it's just the the most crude drawing of like three spiky haired or four spiky haired punkers like ripping apart shooting and pounding a bunch of mutilated cops and the record is called cracked cop skulls which is oh uh, on, you know painted on the back of the cover and this record is amazing i mean it's like four songs in like three and a half minutes it's it's incredible acdc's dirty done dirt dirty deeds done dirt cheap but the australian pressing just has the shittiest artwork Shitty. it's this total grade school drawing 
of like Angus Young, you know, doing the two fingers in the air uh-huh. thing. Up the bracket. And then Bon Scott. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Whatever they call it down under. <laughs> Giving the finger, but Australian style. And his legs are tiny, like bones. Oh. And then Bon Scott in the front with his arm, like almost like it's elbowing the viewer. But his yeah. arm is like twice as big as his it's a Popeye moment. torso. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. And then on the, on his arm is a tattoo that says, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap with a mm. with like a parrot on it or something. Concept and design. Oh, it's Kettle Art Productions. Oh, so good. it's an actual company. But um, I mean, I love that like even a band, I mean, that was before Highway to Hell. So they weren't like internationally famous, mm-hmm. but they were, I think, getting pretty big in Australia at that point. And they had, and that's the Australian version of it. So it's mm-hmm. like, this is a big band that surely had a budget and a label, you know, all the things that would like filter out really terrible cover art. And it did not get filtered out. Dr. Alimentado's best dressed chicken in town is amazing. I mean, it's, I assume it's, he is the best dressed chicken in town, but no the photo of him on the cover well, he's got shoes, oh, but like they're okay. half off and he's stepping on the heel of one of them. So it's like visibly no laces. And basically, as soon as he takes a step, the shoe's going to fall off. No shirt. He's going to got a jean jacket half hanging off of his shoulder. And these shorts that are held up by a belt and the zipper is like wide open and he's oh. wearing red underwear. <laughs> so like it's very evident that his zipper's open. Um, it's just and it's a great record. Um, that and that reminds me of something we talked about earlier, um, or off the call, which is the Jay and the Americans mm-hmm. um, greatest hits record on Rhino, which I do not have mm-hmm. to show to the camera. Um, but it's a specific Jay and the Americans album. Uh, it's a collection that Rhino Records put out um, that has a picture of the band. I think it came out in the early '80s or late '70s or something. Um, and it is the weirdest looking picture of the band that like I can imagine. The they look again? like uh, it's Jay and the Americans. Okay. Got it. Um, and they were kind of made kind of schmaltzy, like pseudo crooner. They were, had a big hit with Cara Mia, uh, sort of a crooner kind of group sound. Um, okay. So, oh. oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll go left to right here. The first guy looks like a, uh, like, Beach Boys style, like good looking, well, you know, well groomed guy, like, hello, ladies, can mm-hmm. I offer you a drink kind of dude. The second guy looks a little bit like, you know, it kind of like, hey, kid, you want to try some pills, you know, <laughs> and he's got this kind of sort of like side eye look on his face. That's so he's got like rings on his pinky or something. It looks a little like sketchy. And then if you look at all of these people before, (laughs) (laughs) I am sorry. And then the the third guy is like the Fonz, right? He's got like a sort of like a Fonz meets Jim Morrison, leather jacket, kind of shaman vibe. The the fourth guy is like, I don't know what's going on. He looks like the guy who they just have in the band because they're like, oh, I don't know if he'd be okay without us taking care of him. You know, he's kind of he looks like kind of like a like a Dan Klaus character. Like, um, and then the fourth or the last guy on the far right mm-hmm. just looks like he's he's thinking real hard about something really easy to mm-hmm. figure out, you know, <laughs> like 
like and that he didn't know the photo was being taken so he's like okay so i gotta stand here and look at the camera when they say cheese but then the best part is the second guy who kind of looks like the 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 nerd the ne'er do the ne'er do well no the, the guy on the second from the left the ne'er do well who's gonna like okay. um who's kind of leaning on and looking sideways at the camera if you look down like below his belt he's wearing black slacks yeah i can't see it on my phone yeah if yeah. you gotta look at like a uh, google search or something where you can just blow up the image full size or yeah. you know but on the album cover let me tell you it's very apparent once you notice the dude's feeling a little randy oh. and his, he's got a, a, a significant bulge in his pants that is absolutely like disgusting looking i mean it, it gives the whole thing a a real gross vibe, but maybe somebody will have to go buy the record. Um, <laughs> somebody, I'll, I'll send the Discogs link. Yeah, but um, oh, right, I can look on Discogs. Yeah, Duh. and then um, that's a great one. And then there are these sort of Christian records, Uh-oh. like um, like this, the Coming Persecution by David Wilkerson. Yeah, the cover is just a pair of hands holding a Bible with handcuffs around the wrists. <laughs> Like, and the premise is, it's like, this is the guy, this Wait, sort of, you know, comb, comb over preacher guy. Oh, sorry. Here's the, uh, and, and it's, it's about like, it's David Wilkerson shares his vision of the coming persecution about like Christians, you know, the impending Christian persecution, which about his amazing predictions of hate Christ clubs, um, new dancing and seances in church, X-rated movies on TV, homosexual churches, Satan ministers, wow. a major earthquake in the United States, a coming recession, and homosexual mass murders. I mean, it, it's classic like '70s or Cold War era kind of like crazy American bullshit. But yeah. <laughs> the record cover's great. I love that. That's and then uh, so good. this one's Meryl Womack. Um, mm-hmm. The album is called "I Stood at Calvary," <laughs> and the cover is a pretty well painted. Uh, picture of christ on the cross at calvary mm-hmm. um and then if you look closely there's one guy in a white and blue kind of leisure suit mm-hmm. like everyone's dressed like romans and whatnot yeah but then there's one guy standing there looking like a 70s preacher painted into the painting and there's no text on the front on the cover of this album um and then the back of it is a picture of merrill womack the, the preacher singer guy um and that's presumably him standing at watching Christ be crucified, uh, which she then turned into a career singing and testifying. And Meryl Womack's an interesting one because he's, uh, he's a um, Christian personality, I believe from the Northwest, from Spokane, mm-hmm. who was in a horrible plane crash and nearly died and was burnt se- severely. Uh-huh. And there's this other album called Happy Again that is – is just his name with the word happy again and then pictures of his uh face which is significantly scarred and then like uh like start to finish like here is a picture of the plane crash here is a picture of me right after the plane crash it's it's intense and i mean i mean honestly like good for him um but it's like he made this career out of his uh perseverance following his um his burn scars and his plane crash uh and took it as a message that jesus was looking over him um all right 
The last couple are are uh, sort of borderline prank record packages. Ooh, I love it. Um, one of which is the fear of smell compilation, which is uh, has tinsel glued around the edge of the cover and has the compilation title spray painted on it. It's great. Um, this was on Vermiform, which is sort of the label that Born Against and Sam McFeeders mm-hmm. ran. Um, and every cover is different. There's a blog that collects fear of smell covers that oh. everyone, I encourage everyone to look up. Um, and then, uh, so like some of them have just really funny Sharpie drawings on them. Some of them have random other shit glued on them. But I love that they just did like a thousand of these things. They just made them by hand. And Neil Burke mm-hmm. is, uh, he was in, he was sort of part of that scene and did a bunch of art for um, that label. And he was in the band Men's Recovery Project. Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was Sam McFeeders and him. Um, and they have a really great album called Belides over Basra. Um, mm-hmm. that has, is, he does, has a really cool kind of like spotty, blurry ink drawing painting. I don't know what he, how he does it, but it's just a really cool kind of surrealist art style. Um, that kind of taps into that, like sardonic dead Kennedy style vibe, but not in a like political collage kind of way, it's a more like surrealist kind of mm-hmm. way. It's just really cool. Um, and, uh, and then the other sort of prank package that is just a total classic that seems like a good place to end mm-hmm. my ramblings is the feeders ever feel like killing your boss uh-huh. record, which is an, also an amazing rap record and starts mm-hmm. with an Olivia Newton John cover. So it's which timely. song? Have you never been mellow? They rip it to shreds. It's really R. great. R.I.P. Olivia Neutron Bomb. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, the record has mm-hmm. sandpaper glued on it oh, on both whoa. sides. So it's, you know, the picture doesn't really do it justice, but that is, it is legitimate, rough, grainy sandpaper. So the idea being, of course, that if you file it with your records, it will ruin whatever it is next to. (gasps) That is amazing. Brilliant. I don't, I don't know if I have anything to add. I love a prank. Well, I just so good back on and we can talk more about like (laughs) you have an amazing collection. I'm sure we could talk. We could fill another show at least. I could ramble until you're even more sick of you, me than you are now. No, I appreciate you showing me all this stuff and sharing with the listeners. That's amazing. Of course. Super fun. I love nerding out about this kind of stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, come up with I'm obsessed with uh, design pranks. So if you find more stuff in your collection, we can do a prank uh, design prank show or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, another one that's, it's not a prank really, but it's really cool and, mm-hmm. and weird is the Andromeda Strain soundtrack, Ooh. which I, I can't do it. It's this crazy package that the record's shaped like a hexagon or something. I, I It's like, oh. it's a fold in thing that's just really intricate. And like, mm-hmm. it's actually a deterrent to playing the record, <laughs> which I don't think was the intention, but it's like so complicated to open it. And like, it's a rare record kind of. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want to fuck it up, yeah, you know, you and I, open it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a good soundtrack to a good movie um, yeah. and really cool packaging. Cool. Well, um, I am unfortunately out of recording time, Nick. Quite <laughs> all right. I'm sorry for taking so long. Oh, oh no, my God. That's okay. Edit ruthlessly. Um, where can listeners find you? Like, where's your, do you want anyone to find you? Is there anything you want to promote? Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram fields of regret. Mm-hmm. Just one word. Um, I, I mean, it's, I hadn't posted on there for ages. Um, 
I don't like put art or anything, mm -hmm. but um, if you have, if they do end up uh, putting out, you know, you, you know, you're recording, and if you ever name that band or whatever, put something out, I'll, I'll point people in your direction. Awesome, thank you. Well, thanks for talking um, to me. Of course, thanks for having me. I'm. Uh, it's a pleasure always to chat with you, oh. and uh, this is a great podcast, and I'm happy to be on. I didn't talk about my love for Hawkwind and Barney oh. Bubbles because I think you have covered that so much, but I do love. Yeah. Oh, I mean, to your credit, but I, I, uh, I do absolutely love oh, all the Hawkman record art. Yay. Um, and it's awesome you're in that book. Thank you. Yeah. Anyways, um, I love talking music with you. Like it reminded me of being at the station. So. Same. It's awesome. Yeah. It's always a good time. Yeah. Well, happy to do it again. And and like like I said, um, edit ruthlessly. <laughs> I rambled a lot. <laughs> We, we didn't even get into bad oi and straight edge artwork which is a whole oh man okay we've got to do a part three yeah yeah yeah, yeah. part part whatever you can take <laughs> we can get into uh and all that all, all right. right bye nick Thank thanks you. bye bye thanks again